Today, um, by the way, um, thanks for understanding. Last week, it was uh, just kind of miserable out on the roads, and we just didn't want people. We knew people would come if if we had a church service. I knew people would come to serve, and they, you know, you're so faithful, and it just didn't really feel right about putting anybody in a place where they felt like they would drive and put themselves in jeopardy. So um, thanks for understanding. It's not too often. I think we've been here We've been here three and a half years, and I think that yesterday might have been the second time we've ever not had a service because the weather was so dicey. So thanks for that. So here's the, here's the byproduct, though. When I prepared my message, um, this message was going to be last week, which was the ninth. And so I've done some things with it because, you know, you can always improve on whatever you thought was right, right? It happens to me anyway. But I didn't change the Proverbs. So even though today is not the ninth, you get Proverbs ninth. I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit wanted this one for, for today. So uh, I, pro- I picked a Proverbs verse, verse 10 out of chapter 9. Wisdom begins with respect for the Lord, and understanding begins with knowing the Holy One. Okay, so did you like the fact that one of the memory verses the children brought today was about God being faithful with his promises, which is exactly what the Holy Spirit was doing in that time of prayer. I, was, I, was, I love that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I also appreciate your leadership, Eric. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a... I, my default personality type is I'm a goal-oriented type A person. And so my default is I get a list of things, check mark, check mark, check mark. In fact, I'll go to church sometimes and I'll think, okay, song one, check mark. Song two, check mark. Song three, check. Why are we doing that one again? We've already done that one. Come on, let's move on to song number four. This is what goes on in my fleshy, failing human frame, right? And, um, and, and we have a sensitive pastor who leads us in worship and says, well, we're not done with that. Let's do that again. So thanks for your sensitivity. I thought you did a great job today. Wonderful job. And I like that song. Wherever Randy is, I'd like to see you working that bass like that. That was wonderful. <laughs> Getting into that bass was wonderful. Way to go, Randy. Um, so today we're, um, we're in the second week of a four-week series that's um, about our perspective. And I've been taking a look at the book of Philippians. And um, there's four chapters in Philippians. You could read it in 15 minutes sometime. It's not very lengthy. And I encourage you to do that uh, between now and next week. Read the whole book. Take 15 minutes at a cup of coffee or whatever and um, just burn your way through there. You'll find that it's, um, it'll, it'll bless your life. And there are some things going on in there that when you hear the words Paul is saying and look at the circumstances, you go, wait a second. What he's experiencing in life and the views he's sharing don't really connect with the way I would view things with my perspective. So there's something about his perspective that really warrants examining, and that's why we're talking about examining perspectives. I, I'm asking that as God you know, leads us through this, that he's going to use his word to change our perspective, to change the way we see life and change how we go about doing things. Because when, when, we, when we have a perspective change, we can have this mind shift that can produce some real fruit. I mean, I just was just talking for a second ago about you know, being a type A choleric personality. And those of you who know me closely go, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I'm, I'm a very you know, goal-oriented. And I, for years, just naturally assumed that other people were that way too. And that if I thought something and believed something, that anybody else around me was going to think and believe the same things because I'm right. <laughs> right? I mean, I just assumed it. It wasn't arrogance. It was just whatever. Maybe it was arrogance. I don't know. But... Um, <laughs> I just assumed it. And then um, a long time ago, living life that way, I you know, ran into my own fair share of bumps and bruises. And I started to conclude that maybe 
I was wrong about some of the, that perspective. Not just that I could be wrong, but I mean, this was wrong about the fact that not everything is about the goal, about the checklist. And I concluded along the way that how you go through life is really a lot more important sometimes than a bunch of temporal goals. Which, for my personality type, that's a stunning revelation. Okay, that's no small thing. Those of you who are out there that are type A, and if you have reached that place, that is a stunning revelation. You realize, wait a second, the checklist isn't quite as important as going through the checklist. That's just, it's just, it's just hard to, hard to say. So, so now I would say, you know, if I was to look at, at um, success, generic success in life, it isn't so much what you accomplish, I don't think, but more, it's more about success is who you are who you are as a person. There's a guy named John Maxwell. He's a very famous author, um, bestseller list on all kinds of leadership topics and, and just you know a lot of leaders, not just in the church but across industry, follow John Maxwell. And he, he, he defines success. He said this, success is when those who know you best love you the most. You think that through because usually the people that know you the best, they know all your flaws. They know all the stuff that kind of doesn't always work right. And I know that when my perspectives change, that in turn changes my heart. And, um, and then I can have this mind shift. Because, and I had one because I really believed a major life shift happened in my life when I realized that things really aren't the most important things. It's the relationships. It's people that matter. So today we're going to um, see what God's word has to say about having a different way of thinking. I want to just take a second and pray and ask that the Lord, Lord, your word, you promise within your word that the word will not return void. It's not that it's mystical and supernatural in some sort of magical sense, but there is an inherent truth that lands in the hearts of those who are willing to hear the word of God. So I pray, Lord, that that'll happen to us today, to me, God, that as we just simply read through things that may appear to be historical or relational, really are anointed and empowered by your spirit to make a positive change and to bless us. In the long run, they bless us. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. So, okay, so if you weren't here a couple weeks ago when we started this, this book, Philippians, was actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to this church in a town called Philippi, where the name Philippians comes from. And, and he actually planted and started this church, and he did it about 50, roughly 50 years after Jesus um, went to the cross. And a lot of scholars think that f- the church in Philippi, Philippians, was Paul's favorite church. You know, may, maybe it was, but, but it's very clear from the way he wrote to them. He really, really loved these people. And um, they had they had known he had had some, some challenges, and so they took a very generous um, offering up, and they sent him this gift. So this letter is actually a, a thank you letter. There's a, it's actually a thank you letter. And as we, re- as, as we read through this, um, you're going to see there's going to be at least, if you read through the whole book, you'll see at least 16 references in just these four, sh- four, four short chapters to our mind, to the mind, um, talking about how you think how you remember things, about your attitude. So um, today I want to talk to you about a different way of thinking, and then I think that will lead us to a change of perspective. So starting in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says this, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy, which was our theme from the last time, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. 
Now, there was a little bit of division going on in the church at that time, and so he was encouraging them to be like-minded, to be like-minded, to think about the same things. This word like-minded, phreneo, um, means to set your affection upon, to think about, to be single-minded about something. He says, hey, I want you to all think about this and, and get yourself on the same page together. Work on, think on things similar. You know, it's, it's like when we have a church council meeting, we like to open in prayer, and the point isn't to be religious and traditional by opening a meeting like that, is that when you stop what you're doing and get yourselves into alignment with the Lord, now the council becomes in alignment with the Lord. Rather than having tasks and agendas and lists, it's like getting like-minded. And people who've been on church councils that, that have this experience know what I'm talking about. You, you come to the place where, okay, we thought we were going to do this, but I think the Lord's kind of speaking something to us. And, 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 and what you do is being like-minded. It's so good. Why does that matter, I think? I mean, there, I mean there, why, why would that matter? There, there are lots and lots of really powerful verses that talk about how important our thoughts are and what goes on in our mind. I mean, I'll just rattle off a couple. James, James 1.8 says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Unstable is one translation. Another one says a double-minded man is worthless in all his ways. Uh, that's pretty strong language. Philippians 2, he's, he's, he, he asks us to be like-minded or single-minded. Romans 12 um, has one of my favorite verses. It says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that then you'll be able to test and approve God's will, what his perfect, complete, and lovely will is. He told the Corinthian church, he said, he said to take every thought captive. Take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. That's worth studying at some point. Philippians, he says, whatever things are noble, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are right, let your mind park out. Park on those topics. Think about those things. And Proverbs 23, I love this one. It says, as a man thinks... So he is. There, there's so much about our mind. So um, I'm, I'm going to give you um, some mind shifts for, because some, some of us might think that you know, if you believe that you are what you do, I want you to think about this. How you think determines what you become. How you think determines what you become. And I mean, it's common for leaders in the church, as an example, um, it's common for leaders in the church to go off to conferences and, you know, we hear about a church somewhere who's doing something or some ministry that is succeeding in some way. And so we go, oh, we all go rushing over there. Go, what are they doing? How do they do go about this? And it's important. You learn from um, different people who have succeeded. And, and um, I've been in leadership long enough to spend a lot of time with leaders that are you know, anxious to do the right thing and to lead well and to bless their churches. And, and so we all rush off you know, to see the latest thing that's going on that's succeeding somewhere. And without wanting to deflate anybody, I try to say to, especially to, to um, upcoming leaders, to say, you know, don't go to one of those things and just copy what you see them doing in their church and take that home and try and copy that in your own church. I mean, you don't have that pastor's anointing and calling. You, you don't have their gifts. You have your own complete set of gifts and skills and calling, and you have your own church family, and, and there is a right way for you to, to, to learn from this and to apply it, but don't go and copy. Instead, when you go there, find out how they think. 
Find out what they read that influences them. Find out, find out what's going on in their mind because if you can learn that, if you can learn how they think and get inside their mind, then you can take that back. And in your own calling, in the context of who you are, you can then succeed and do what God called you to do. And so here's how Paul was thinking. If we were at a seminar to try to find out how was Paul thinking, you know, here's what he was thinking. Everything's about Jesus. That's pretty much, you know, and that might be an over summary of all of the New Testament, but that's pretty much what Paul's always saying. It's always about Jesus. I mean, last week we looked at one verse that he said, you know, for me to live is Christ. But if I die, then I gain, which is so counter to how we mortals think about life. I mean, he's, he's saying, you know, I don't want you just to think like each other. I want you to think like Christ. Get the mind of Christ. I want you to have the mind of Christ. Why is that so important? You know, if you look at the way Jesus lived, you probably think, you know, <laughs> I could never do that. I mean, I, 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 can't, I could never be as loving as Jesus. I could never be as generous as Jesus. I could never be so full of grace as Jesus. I could never please God the way Jesus does. I mean, I, I don't know that. So I'm going to suggest to you a mind shift because it's, there's a lot about what's going on in our mind. Here's the, here's the thought for you. If you think like Jesus thought, you will live like Jesus lived. If you think like Jesus thought, you'll live like Jesus lived. If you think like he thought, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, you will live like he lived. So how did Jesus think? Well, there's really not much doubt. If you just read the words that are printed in red in your Bible, you'll, you'll taught the, way he, the things he taught and the way that he lived, he thought about primarily two things, pleasing God and loving people. Those are pretty much the two things. And um, in fact, you know, when he was asked one time, what's the most important command? He said, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then the second thing he said is love your neighbor as yourself. He was all about pleasing God and, and all about loving people. And, and Paul was teaching this principle that if you just be like-minded, if, if, if you won't think like the world thinks, but instead you'll, you'll, you let your mind be renewed, let something like that go on by God, you'll be transformed by the And if you think like Jesus thought, you'll live like Jesus lived. And here's the way Paul taught this. Let's pick it up in verse 3. He says, Do nothing. Okay, now, just in case you're wondering, that Greek word for nothing means nothing. Okay? <laughs> Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And I, I don't know about you, but it's pre-wired into my nature that I do almost everything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I mean, I mean, transparently, that's, that's how we start. Paul says, no, I want you to think like this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Now, this Greek word, humility, don't try to pronounce this word um, unless you're in the safety of your own home under adult supervision, because... We're not even going to try it right now out loud. Okay, I'll take a pass at this. Tapana, tapana rusune. See, 
Don't try that at home. You, you will injure your tongue. It means <laughs> modesty. It means humility of mind. It means just lowliness of mind, not like your pond scum. It means humility of mind. You do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility of mind. In, in, in other words, I, I choose in my mind to position myself lower than others in order to please God and to love other people. Verse 4, he goes on, he says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Attitude. Your attitude. Your attitude. Everybody say attitude. Attitude. Now say attitude with attitude. Attitude. That's better. You know, this, um, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That verse right there is worth more than $5,000 of marriage counseling. I'm serious. If you took this passage, Philippians 2, 1 through 5, and read it as a couple every day, you took the 45 seconds that that would require and read it as a married couple every day, I promise you, your marriage would be stronger. It will be stronger if you just do that. It just, anyway, so what is attitude? Attitude is, is basically, it's a little thing that's going on in us that makes a big difference, it, a, a massive difference. A little thing that can change the trajectory of our life. I mean, it can make a big difference. I, I, the word attitude is also tossed around and used in um, aeronautic circles and in space aircraft, right? Attitude is a, is a little tiny difference that makes a huge impact. Ever, ever ridden on a commercial airplane? They come in to land, and they come in at a very carefully selected attitude. Up, down. Even the wing surfaces, there's little adjustments of attitude difference. And those little adjustments determine everything. Because the plane will go to the ground. Eventually. When and how it goes to the ground will depend on attitude. It can go down and land like it's designed safely, accomplishing what it's designed to do. Or it can go down... If any of you have to ride an airplane in the next few days, I'm sorry if I'm spooking you. (laughs) But let me tell you something. The topic of attitude is paramount to the pilot in the airplane. There probably isn't much going on in that cockpit that's more important in those moments of landing than attitude because it determines trajectory. And trajectory determines where and how you land. Attitude is a big deal. And, you know, so it makes this, small adjustments make this big difference. And there are lots of good things about having a positive attitude. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's hard for you in some ways to have, always have a positive attitude. Maybe, maybe you were not math smart, okay? You heard that phrase? I was never not that math smart. So maybe you weren't all that good. You took your math tests and you pretty much, you know, they buried you, and, and so you feel kind of crummy, and you think, I'm not very, you could look at it like that way and say, I'm not very math smart. Or you could look at, look at it completely different with a different attitude and say, hey, I tested in the half of my math class that made the upper half possible. <laughs> attitude makes a difference. It's like, it's like this little boy who's standing in the backyard with his bat and his ball, and he and he says, okay, the best, I'm the best batter in the world. And he throws the ball up and swings and misses. <laughs> Picks up the ball, throws it up again. Swings, I'm the best batter in the world. And he misses again, second time. 
smiling anyway, picks it up, throws it up again. I'm the best batter in the world. Swings and misses again. Aha! Not only am I the best batter in the world, I'm the best pitcher in the world. I struck out the best batter in the world. (laughs) An attitude is everything there. Makes a small little thing that makes this huge difference. So what is our attitude? I mean, if we were going to describe it, I'd just really simply say, your attitude is your mental habits. It's, it's your habits of thought. It's the way you've trained your mind to think. It's the way we train our mind to think. And so what do we know about that? What do we know about our habits? We know that they're acquired. We know you can, you can create habits. You can create good habits. You can create bad habits because an action repeated enough times becomes a habit. So we can create them and in, in the way we think. And um, the word tells us, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world because we'll repeat things because the world's repeating them. We'll repeat them when we create these habits. We don't have to do that. Instead, we can be transformed and let the Lord renew our minds. And I think it's interesting that Paul didn't say for us just to have a positive attitude. Positive attitudes are good. You should have a positive attitude. But that's not what he said here. He said you should have a Christ-like attitude. That's different. It's different. In fact, that's exactly what he said. Look at it in verse 5. He said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then look at what his attitude, what Jesus' attitude led him to. Verse 6, who, this is Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, here's another mind shift, because so often... In our world, we're, you know, we, th- we think it's all about me, so I've got to do these things. I've got to throw myself out there. I've got, I've got to be great. I've got to promote myself. I've got to have a lot of likes, and I've got to have a lot of friends on Facebook. I've got to do these things to make myself succeed. Here's your mind shift about in the, in, in the kingdom of God. Pleasing God isn't about self-promotion. It's about self-abandonment. That's a mind shift. Pleasing God is not about promoting yourself, but it's about mind abandonment. So I'm going to break this verse down a little bit. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That Greek word for grasp there is a very strong word. It literally means um, to rob, to plunder, to rape. That's strong words. Jesus saying equality with God is not something to be grabbed and taken, which is not mine to take with strong, I mean, painted in red words, not something to be grasped. And that's exactly what Lucifer tried to do. I mean, you, there are several plans, at least, at least five or six times um, in the Old Testament it's recorded where he says, um, I will be or I want to be like God. It happened in the garden where the serpent said to Adam and Eve, he says, you know, you can be like God. He planted that seed. And I've heard, I know you may have heard the, the enemy tell you, that in some ways in your life at some time where if you would just follow this trail, you know, um, not, no, equality with God is not something to be grasped. It's not about self-promotion. It's about self-abandonment. We lose our life in Christ, and that's how we find Christ's life at work in us. The text goes on to say, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but Jesus made himself Nothing. You know, let's consider this. It's pretty amazing. You know, Jesus who, who had every right. I mean, he, he was with God. He was God. He was God in every glorious way. 
he was the one who, if anybody had the right to be praised, it was him. And yet, we read that he would kneel down and wash the feet of the lowest of the low. He made himself nothing, the word says. You know, when, when God created the heavens and the earth, he made it out of nothing. So here's the deal. As long as you are nothing, God can make something out of you. But when you think of yourself as something, you know, do not think more highly of yourself than you are. When you think of yourself as something, that's when you are at risk of not fulfilling God's divine calling on your life. Jesus made himself nothing. And that, this is a kingdom of God mind shift about perspective. It's not about self-promotion. It's about self-abandonment. It's about me saying my life is not my own because I've been purchased with something very, very precious, the blood of Jesus. My life is now all about him. Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. If you look at back to verse 1, um, at the very beginning of the, of the whole letter, you know, it's, it's the only epistle that he wrote where he didn't introduce himself as an apostle. Every other one, he's got his credentials right at the beginning of the letter. But because of his relationship with this church, he's saying, he's saying I'm, a, I'm a doulos is the word. It's, it's a Greek word for I'm a servant. And he said, I kneel down. I'm here to serve God and to serve you. Now, our translations, most of them, if you don't know what translation you're reading, but they mostly use the word slave or servant. And um, um, the, word, the word there is, it's, it's, it's really a word that describes a person who permanently and literally um, devotes their life to the will of someone else. That's what a doulos is. Jesus made himself nothing so that he could become a doulos. And um, so, so that he could become permanently devoted to the will of the one who sent him. And that's the mind shift that we, that we should press towards. I mean, it's not about how good I am. It's about, it's about self-abandonment. I lose my life so that I can find him. Now, here's another mind shift. Serving is not what I do. A servant is who I am. And so now there's this mind shift going on instead of, you know, a different way of looking at things, you know, will lead us to a different result. Serving is not what I do. A servant is who I am. You know, one problem that we have with that is we, we want other people to serve us because we don't really truly see ourselves as servants. I mean, I think sometimes we incorrectly believe that, that responsibility and authority that we walk in conflicts with our ability to serve. It's not true. I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, if you're a parent, you know that um, you have to teach your little ones things, you know. You teach them... Ultimately, you want to teach them character values. You, you, you want to teach them respect, and you want to teach them you know, some things about work ethics and, and so forth. But serving them does not mean that you follow them around all the time and you pick up their dirty clothes and, and wait on them hand and foot. Although, at a certain age, you do those kinds of things because they don't know how yet. But you go through this process where you teach them to be responsible for themselves. But it may mean at times, as a parent... You're the one in authority. But it may mean at times as a parent, you do things that you might consider beneath your station as the parent. And you don't do that because they are manipulating you or they're lazy. You, you do it in spite of those things because you look at them and you think, I want to provide you with the tools you need to grow because I want to teach you about building your character. And sometimes, sometimes as a parent, you do things 
that your children should be doing, but you do that to, to help them succeed. And along the way, you end up supervising their use of time, and you might eliminate distractions in their lives. And over time, you value character in your children over accomplishment because that's what will sustain them. And that's where you want them to succeed. But we're concerned that if we, if we serve those that we lead, that we oversee, that somehow they're going to grow lazy. They're going to have this sense of entitlement that they're going to expect to be waited upon. But Jesus, is, you know, Jesus these words of, from Matthew 20, he says, you know, he came not to be served, but to give his life up as a ransom for many people. So, for example, if you're a boss, you might find yourself at some point serving your employees doing things for your team, not because of any reason other than this truth. If your employees fail at what they do and you haven't done anything as an overseer to help them succeed, your business fails. If they succeed, you succeed. And sometimes you serve people around you, even if you're an authority over them, to help them succeed. I mean, when Jesus washed Peter's feet... Do you really think it was because he wanted to keep the floors, the floors clean? I mean, okay, a nice byproduct, their feet are clean. But no, I, I really think he was demonstrating his character. He did it not to make the point. He did it because it is the point. It's who he is. It's his nature. It's his heart. It's who he is. Serving is not something we do, but it's who we are. And there's this mind shift that takes place. So I don't come to church just to serve because that's what I do. I, I come and I serve because I'm a follower of Christ. That's the reason I serve. I mean, I don't just help somebody um, who lives next to me do some yard work when the limbs fall because I'm tired of looking at the limbs on the ground. I do it because it's who I am, and it serves them, and it just it honors God. Serving is not something we do. do. Serving is who I am if I'm a follower of Christ. And Jesus came not to, to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew, that's out of Matthew 20. So how did he serve? We see this, we pick this back up in verse 8. And I think this is one of the most important texts in all of scripture. That's personal opinion. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. This is probably the biggest act of serving recorded anywhere in history. Because God chooses to, to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest, in the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is something that just Jesus did. He didn't, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a doulos, totally devoted to the will of another person. Now, considering all this, I'm just going to blow through some verses. I'm going to read some little short verses to you, real quick ones. And I want you to consider, this is, these are all penned by Paul. And this is a guy who was chained to a guard, awaiting trial, and it was a death sentence kind of a trial. For, for not doing anything except telling people about hope, about Jesus, okay? Now, he was in different prisons at different times, and some of them were savagely difficult. That's the guy that's writing these words. 
To live as Christ, to die as gain. We heard that one. Acts 20, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may do the will of God. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, he told the Philippians. And next, we'll see that next week. And this one, well, he was under house arrest to the Philippian church. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, let your needs be known to God. Then the peace that passes your understanding, that transcends your thought processes, will guard your heart and your mind. You'll have a peace that goes beyond. Don't be anxious about it. These are the words of a guy who's chained, and they're going to decide whether to kill him or not. How can he say that? How could he say these words? Was it mamby pamby, some sort of, you know, ah, uh, you know, I don't live in the real world, I'll say these rosy things? Or was this genuinely what was in his soul? I submit to you, it was genuinely in his soul. How? He didn't think the way we thought. He pursued the mind of Christ. So he thought like Christ, and it changed his perspective, it changed his attitude. And it was who he became. If you think like Jesus thought, you can live like Jesus lived. It's not about me. It's about him. Pleasing God isn't about self-promotion, but but self-abandonment. And serving is not what I do, but it's who I am. One more final mind shift if you're taking notes. Because there are all of these reasons that Paul could be miserable. And there are all these reasons why maybe you could be miserable. Things aren't working for you the way that you feel like they should. I don't have this. This isn't fair. You know, this is different than I had hoped, and I'm, you know, why didn't God answer this question? And I deserve something better than this. If you see my history, I've done these things. Why isn't my life coming out the way I want? Okay, we have these reasons. Here's the final mind shift for today. My joy is not based on what happens to me, but what God is doing in me and through me. Not based on what happens to me. Last week, we looked at this verse, you know, where he said, but this has happened to me to advance the gospel. It's not what happens to me, but it's what happens in me and through me. And that's why Paul, who was locked up in his chains, he, you know, he could say this in, in verse 30 and verse 17, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, in other words, even if this costs me everything, even if I have to shill, spill my blood for Jesus, which ends up happening eventually, on the sacrifices serving service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. I'm glad to know about that because I, I really do believe it's not about all about me, it's all about him. And when your perspective on that changes, life gets better. Joy becomes more common. Peace becomes your way. If I think like he thought, I can live like he lived. It's true. Serving is not what I do, it's who I am. And pleasing God is not about promoting myself, but it's more about abandoning myself to him. If I have to lose my life to find life, you know, that's, that's why joy isn't based on what anybody does to me or what happens to me. It's based on the loving nature of God, who, who he is and what he's doing in me and through me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that through the power of your word today that every one of us would have our perspectives just nudged just a bit. And God, when we see things the way we see them, which is what we do, we, we lead and walk through life doing right what's in our own eyes. When we see things the way we do and you want us to see things a little bit differently, Lord, we invite you to nudge our attitude. 
because Lord, I know that your desire is that when we land, so to speak, that we land softly and safely in your arms and little attitude adjustments now can make the difference then. So Lord, I pray about our attitudes and I pray God that where our attitude maybe needs a little adjustment that God, you'll do that, but maybe when our attitudes are a little bit stinky, that God, thank you that you don't give up on us just because we behave like children sometimes. We're grown-up adults, but sometimes we become petulant. We become focused on what we think is right and, and um, instead of just saying, okay, well, fine, you made your bed laying it. Instead, Lord, I really believe that you are full of mercy and full of grace. And it was evidenced by your plan for us. You look at the earth and you say, man is, man is, there's no way he can make himself holy. There is no way he can find his way to me. Every single person is sinned and fallen short of glory. What am I going to do? And you had the solution. And that was to make a way for us. And I want to thank you, God, that you chose to come to the earth as a man to die on our behalf, to die on our behalf, and then to prove your authority over death and life by rising. I thank you, God, that you love like that. If you'd only say, if, if we would only say, I believe, your word says that all who call on Christ will be saved. Your word also says that there's no other way to heaven. None. So for those of us who feel that We've earned things and we deserve things. Lord, we, we lay that aside today. We don't grasp at the, those things. They're not ours to reach. But instead, we abandon. We abandon our hearts in our hearts. Our, what we feel we've earned, instead, we grasp onto grace and mercy from heaven. Thank you, God, that you love us like that. I want to thank you, Lord, that you made a way for those of us who don't know you to forever seal their future church be praying right now please keep your eyes closed because there are people in this room maybe that have never ever realized that they have no hope after this world ends for heaven they have no hope apart from a pathway provided by the God who owns the heavens and the earth if you've never ever sorted that out I want to suggest that you do it right now because no one knows what tomorrow may hold and while the eyes are closed in the church I want to give this place a privacy to people and say if you've never sorted out your eternity with God, you should do it today. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm asking you simply to allow a mind shift to occur in your soul that would say, well, I've been doing things and I've been kind of getting through life okay, but I have no control over eternity and I better get that sorted out. It's the highest priority, the highest. It may not be the most urgent, but it is the highest. Well, I want to nudge it to a place of urgency today too and say, if you've never opened your heart and said, I want to be someone whose name is written in God's book of life. And I'm going to do what his scripture says. It says, all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. If you believe that he came and he died for you to make a way, if you believe that in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, the word says you'll be saved. And that doesn't mean you stand in front of people and give a speech. It just says that you somehow open your heart and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I receive the gift he gave. And now I declare it. And that testimony is just simply to agree with someone else and say, hey, I want you to know I opened my heart to the Lord. It's, that's it. And I would never embarrass you in front of uh, people in the room. But if you've never opened your heart before, I want to suggest that it's good to confess it at the same moment. It's just good to do it. So I'm going to look across the room while everyone's else's eyes are closed. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you up here or anything, but I'm going to say, if you've never opened heart, your heart before and you want to seal this forever and resolve it right now, do it right now. 
just look up at me and let's let our eyes meet. That's all I'm asking. And if I don't see your eyes, help me. Just give me a little hand wave or something as I'm looking across the room. Okay. Praise the name of the Lord. A room full of saved people. Oh, God bless you, sister. Is that why you're looking at me? Praise God. Way to go. Way to go. Lord, thank you that it's never too late. That God, you love this daughter of yours with such ferocious, precious love that you have pursued her and chased her this day to say, okay, come home with me. Be safe for forever. Thank you for that. And I want to thank you, Lord, for the way you love all of us enough today to say, hey, your tomorrows could be different. Let's just adjust our attitudes a little bit and get like-minded, minded with Christ. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name.